show is sponsored by HiveMind CRM. It is more than just a CRM. It is a real estate and business mastermind that comes with an all-in-one CRM. You can have unlimited websites and users. You can call, text, RVM, and email all-in-one user interface. And you can set up custom automations for any type and multiple businesses. 65% of companies start using a CRM system within the first five years of business. Once implemented, the HiveMind will save you on marketing, give you more time, and make more money. One of our users had his first $100,000 month using our system in June. We want to see you automate and accelerate your business. Text us at 210-972-1842 for future meetings and of course to get our $1 course on how to make more than six figures on one land deal. You can schedule your free demo today at HiveMindCRM.io. So we're here with uh, Seth Teagle out of Ohio. He is a multifamily investor and syndicator. I also have my co-host here, Frank Spaulding. Uh, we're gonna have a great conversation here. Stuff I wanna know, we're gonna get questions for. So I'm excited about this one. So uh, Seth, can you tell us about uh, what you've done? In the past? I always ask this because I like kind of laying the groundwork because when you talk multifamily, people are like, oh, you're in the clouds. Like that's kind of bringing down the reality. So how, how did you get like what did what did you do in the past? Were you like construction worker? What, like like where where did you start at? Yeah, so my, my story is pretty interesting because I'm like a general like I'm I'm like in reality I'm like a, I'm I'm an undercover blue collar guy right that that I've actually been a fireman for 21 years I'm still actively awesome. serving in that role I'm probably uh, you know I don't know how much longer I'll do it for but my main partner in the stream group and I are both firemen that's how we met that's how we kind of got. Um, started together and we kind of when we met we were like man we should team up together but prior to that I was you know I lived I grew up in North Dakota and lived there for most of my life and then um, I moved to Florida in 2000 and was there for about eight years met my wife um, got in the fire service there and then her dad lived in Columbus Ohio and I was kind of like after working two or three hurricanes I was like man this is this is crazy Hurricane Katrina Hurricane Ivan like just watching all this death and destruction I was like I don't really know that I, I think I want to be a visitor not like a permanent resident down here. So uh, we opted to leave in 2008 and right when the market was crashing and all the craziness was happening and, and moved to Ohio. And um, that was it. I was, a like I said, fireman for all that time and still am and probably about seven years ago. I realized that, you know, I was working tons and tons of hours and to the point where I, I just couldn't work anymore and make any more money. And I thought, well, what, you know, what, what else can I do? Or there has to be something better uh, for me than just just working my regular shift and overtime or having like two or three jobs. And so, uh, you know, I, I got into real estate through a friend of mine who I knew in college and he had be like blown up and become this huge investor, hard money lender, has a pretty big following. And, um, you know, he kind of got the fire lit underneath me to get into real estate. And um, through some different things that happened along the way, I, I got into multifamily and been going hard at it ever since. That is amazing. Firefighter, congratulations. Appreciate your service. Thank you. Um, that is amazing. That is amazing. You're the first firefighter we've ever interviewed. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So tell me, uh, and then here's the other people. I, I like I like bringing it down because people like, how do you get into multifamily? Like, did you start doing wholesale? Did you start doing houses? Like, how did you transition? I was just about to ask that. What was yeah, the first so, deal? Yeah. So my first deal was a 50 <laughs> unit. 
Which sounds crazy, right? That like, what are you? What you you did what now? This is what I usually get like from people. And so for me, like, I realized that uh, that real estate could lead to generational wealth or passive income or you know all these things that we hear about. And I was like, that sounds great. Like my why is always my family. I've got three kids. I'm married. You know, the divorce rate for America is like fifty percent, but it's even worse for people that are like firemen, cops, military. You know, people in the healthcare industry and hospitals all the time. It's just those jobs are very hard on relationships. And so I was, you know, it's always been a super important thing for me to have a, a great family life and have a great family life for my kids. And so, you know, when I realized when we started having kids, I'm like, man, you know, with inflation going up, you know, like the money I made last year is not enough this year and like all these different things. I'm like, what do I do? And so, like I told you, I said, I reconnected with that guy, uh, which he kind of got me started uh, really kind of looking into real estate. And then I was doing, I spent a couple of years like reading and researching and, and kind of just getting my, uh, my feet wet in like, what does this really look like? Cause I, one thing that he told me in the very beginning was, you know, if you're going to get into it, like your first deal has got to be a home run or it's got to be, it's got to be good. You, you just can't have it go bad because if it goes bad, you're pretty much done. Um, and so I, I, that I really took it to heart. And so I wanted to kind of like really kind of just sharpen my tools and, and be ready to go into whatever it looked like. Um, and then I met a guy here locally that was a house flipper and I was like, man, like, this is the first person I've ever met in real life that's doing this. Like, let me, let me talk to you. Like, let me, you know, let me take you to lunch. Let me buy you a drink or whatever. And what I, when I went and talked with him, what I heard was that he was struggling with finding good project managers for his flips and finding, uh, he was not finding very good property managers. And so I was like, look, I'll work for free. Like, I don't care. I just want to get my on the job training. I want to learn. Like, I got a ton of questions, like, but I knew with my background in the fire service, I knew construction, I knew how to manage contractors and kind of like run teams. Uh, and so I knew that I could do that. I just needed somebody to give me a chance. And so for a year, I worked for him uh, basically for free, uh, doing those things and kind of getting my feet wet. And what I learned or realized kind of in that year was for, at the time, I thought I'll be a fireman forever. I'll have some rentals. This will be great. Um, but I realized like running all over town and going to these different houses and watching the flips happen and every house needed some different flooring and different finishes and different vanities and all, you know, it was very logistically, um, it's just, it was just tough. It just required a ton of time, a ton of manpower to try to do these things. And, and for me trying to maintain a career, I was like, I need to find the thing. What's the most efficient uh, thing that I can get into. And all I had heard was, you know, over the, over the years was multifamily, like 10 units under one roof in one location was much more efficient than having 10 houses spread out over a whole city and you know i mean that i bought into that because i'm like look that's at the time that's my goal right is to just get in just have enough to kind of make up the difference or, or the shortfalls um and then like i said i i had the opportunity to um i, I basically what I, I decided i was like look i want to i want to take the the knowledge i have the money that i've saved and i want to go find the biggest thing that i can buy and i went to another investor and i said hey pull it let's pull the equity out of the houses that you have let's pool our resources and let's go find this thing. And uh, we went out to a smaller market outside of Columbus and we found a 50 unit that was a true value add property. It was probably more value add than I should have bought off, bit off of my first deal. But, you know, like I said, I was ready for it. And my schedule at the firehouse is um, 24 hours on and we have two days off. So I had a lot of time to uh, give towards kind of running the property. And that's, that's what I ended up doing. So, you know, we, we bought it and that was the first deal. That is amazing. 
first deal. So at that first point deal, you were self-managing also, correct? So what I, so I, I, I bought it and I thought, look, I can do two, two things. And I, I knew, I knew I was good at construction management. I didn't know how good I was going to be at leasing and, and managing something of that size. I had done leasing and managing on a smaller scale. The guy that I was managing, he probably had like 15 units. And so I thought, well, I can do, I can't do both good. I can do one of them good. Let's, so I, what I did was I brought in a third party manager down there. I went down there and met with several and basically presented my business plan. And I'm like, look, here's what I want to do. And I went with the one that I felt was most aligned with my interests. And I was there every day. I was at the firehouse managing that rental as far as the construction goes and doing the renovations. But I was, it also gave me like the on-site presence to know whether or not they were actually managing my property well. And then if we were having, you know, troubled tenants or there's problems, like I was there to report them and really kind of like light the fire underneath them to make sure they were doing their job. And and I think that, you know, had I not been there, it could have been a different story, but because I was there putting the time in, uh, you know, it worked out. Outstanding. So tell you me- You look uh, like you had a question, Daniel. <laughs> no, 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 I was, I was waiting for you to ask a question. So 50 units. So I know what I noticed a lot about multifamily is that people do different, like different jobs when it comes to multifamily because there's so many different things that need to come together for the deal. Yeah. What part are you in most of these transactions? So I would say like the biggest role that I have right now and like in our, in our company is finding the deals. So I do a lot of networking, a lot of broker relations. Um, you know, I will do, I probably specialize in kind of like being the face of the company. And then I do a lot of back of the napkin kind of like, you know, Hey, like they'll send me the deal. And I'm like, yep, we like the area. Yep. It fits the box of stuff that we're looking for. Yep. The financials look good. That rent roll looks like those rents look low. You know, I know the market or I'll do the market research and be like, yeah, I think that, you know, the rent should be this, this is what they're showing, you know, and I kind of establish like I, this uh, look, looks like it fits in our criteria. Then I send it to Tim Shaw, who's my main partner at the stream group. And he kind of does like the deep dive, right? Cause he, he will do more of the deep underwriting and really kind of get granular with things. And then we'll circle back to each other and say, here's what he found. Here's what I'm thinking, you know? And so we, we each kind of have our roles. He's not the, he's like one of the smartest guys I've ever met, which is why when I met him, I'm like, let's team up, right? Cause he plugged a lot of the holes that I had and I plug a lot of the holes that he has. So it really worked out well for us. Uh, and I'm, I'm not the guy, it's very hard for me to sit down and sit in front of a spreadsheet for like three or four hours, crunch numbers. Like I, it, it's like torture to me but he can't get on and talk to you guys, right? He's like super shy and introverted and wants nothing to do with it. He likes kind of being the guy in the background. Uh, he always likes to say that, that I catch him and then he cleans them, you know? So that's, that's kind <laughs> of the running joke with the two of us. But, uh, you know, that's, that's probably my biggest role. And then I run, I do a lot of the day-to-day -day operations. I manage, I manage the manager that we have, like we're vertically integrated now. So um, I think that, you know, that's probably a big role that I have is again, I still have my hand in the construction, you know, we do everything in-house now. So it's like, are these things on task? Like I'll walk units and I'll, I'll kind of like, we'll take, like we buy a place where like, okay, this first unit's like a test unit and I'll go there and I'll say, you know, we want to do this with the flooring, this with the walls, this, you know, I kind of set up the, the scope of work and then I yep. monitor them as they kind of do the first one. And then once we know that everybody understands the standard and what our expectations are, then we pass it off to our construction manager, project, property manager team. And then they kind of go from there. And then I just do like, I check in with them on a regular basis or I'll go do, you know, I kind of, I'll show up and walk units or I'll go up there and, you know, Hey, you know, we'll look at the rent roll and we're like, Hey, this is, you know, this has been taking a little bit longer than we thought. Like what? So that's a lot of the stuff that I do, like kind of like behind the scenes. 
Okay. Uh, so now the, the first one, did you all finance that yourselves or did you jump straight into trying to find investors to well, help that, on that? And then just, what was yeah. the jump to you know, yeah, becoming so that, an asset um, manager? Yeah, so it was uh, the first the first 50 unit was just me and one other guy. We threw our own money in. We had enough, <laughs> we had enough to buy the property and about 50,000 left over and that was it. And I thought that was enough, right? So you don't know what you don't know getting into your first deal, which is why I always tell people like, you know, now that was kind of before, like I knew, I didn't really even know about podcasts. I didn't know that, you know, there wasn't a ton of Facebook groups or wasn't like, there was probably stuff, stuff on YouTube, but I just didn't, I wasn't in the room with all the multifamily people. It was still kind of like, I was picking up bits and pieces from bigger pockets and other, you know, anything that I could find. And so, you know, I didn't realize, uh, you know, like I had never heard of economic vacancy, right? Where we pull the leases and the leases are saying this and they're saying this on the rent roll looks great. And then when we actually took over, I realized that they were making like half of what they were actually saying they were. Uh, and, and then they, we had, what did they have? Like four units, I think were vacant when we bought it. And within the first payout, the first month, we had 12 more people leave just in the middle of the night. I had never heard of that. I had no idea that that was even something that could happen, you know? And so I called a guy in Cleveland um, who was also a firefighter at one time that had left because he got so big in multifamily. And I was like, what do I do? And he's like, man, you, you're like way undercapitalized. He's like, the first thing you need to do is uh, go out and raise some money. So I was able to, through friends and family, was able to raise about two and a, two, well, $250,000. And that is what we ended up using to basically renovate the complex. And again, I did a lot of sweat equity, you know, in my career previous to multifamily, I knew how to do drywall. I knew how to do windows. I knew how to do all this work. So, you know, it's, it was a successful deal because of my background. I would highly suggest other people not doing that. I would say, you know, get a mentor or get, get hitched to somebody that's already doing it and let them help guide you through the minefield. That could be your first deal. Right. Cause you, like I said, on a, on a single family flip and you do it wrong, you might lose 10, $20,000 on a, big multifamily property, if you buy it and then you don't know what you're doing and it starts to nosedive, they're very hard to like pull out from that spiral. And now you're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars. And, it, and, and in most cases, it's other people's money that you're tying up as well. So that's, it, it becomes a lot bigger of a responsibility. That's, that's so, amazing. Man. Go ahead. Friend. Definitely. Uh, well, you touched on one of the things I was going to ask, you know, mentorship, uh, you know, did you, you know, go out and trial by fire, learn how to raise funds after that first 50 unit, or did you go out and find a mentor who had that experience already? And uh, you know, that, no. that's kind of a big jump to go from yeah, so it's a 50 kind of unit story, to right? 47 million. <laughs> yeah. So we went, we went, so the first deal I did, you know, like I said, it was just two of us. And the second deal was kind of the same thing. We, we, we refied that first deal in, in uh, I think around 14 months and we pulled out a million in equity. So it went very, very well, which I was hooked. I'm like, this is it. And like, how awesome is this? Like, that's more money than I'm going to make in like 10 years, you know, in one deal. Like, I'm like this is awesome. Uh, and so we paid everybody back that we had borrowed money from. And we had about a half a million left over. And we're like, let's do it again. So we went and bought a, a 40 unit from the same seller nearby. And we were like, let's just do it. Well, through that one, again, that one was much easier because now I, I knew what bridge debt was. I knew how to like structure it better and finance it better and 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 get a loan that has the, the construction piece added into it where my first one didn't, it was just a straight, like traditional, like local bank financing. Uh, and so that one went good. But what I realized was like, I'm like, man, if I want to keep doing this, I'm going to have to 
find a way to do it without having all of my money tied up in all these deals. And so that was really what led me down the path of syndication. And, uh, you know, it was really like, it was trying to get myself, I, I, I didn't, I was skeptical of a lot of the gurus and the mentors that are out there that are like, I've got 6,000 doors, or I did this 20 years ago, and I was super successful. And, you know, like, I'm, I'm always leery of that, right? Because there's so much bad information out there. Like, how do you differentiate the good from the bad? And, and so for me, it was like, people that I knew, I kind of clung to them. And so I had a couple of, you know, friends or people I met through networking that had sizable portfolios. And I was just, I mean, I would do anything to get time with them and, and have them teach me. And through that, they connected me with some other people that, you know, just helped me learn. Uh, and so again, I, you know, I, that's how I did it. I think that, you know, if you can find a great mentor, that's legit, um, you know, there's several of them out there now that I've realized over the years that have helped people go from no units to huge successful numbers. Uh, you know, it, it just really is, it's kind of like betting. I think to me, it's betting the people that you're paying money to, you know, cause it's, it was hard for me to pay somebody $20,000 for mentorship for a year when I really like, that was a lot of money to me, you know, and that might be, you know, if, if you, you know, for a normal person, if you saved up 20 grand, and you're like, I want to get in real estate investing. Like, what's my ROI if I give it all to a guy and I go to a course for a year? Like, you know, you, it, it's a hard thing in your brain to understand that spending that $20,000 in that group might lead you to other things. You know, like it, it, it's just a, it's a mindset shift that I hadn't had, you know, that took me a while to kind of understand that. Um, one of the things I really want to hit on, because a lot of people, a lot of people uh, don't know this but uh, you said that you had a bunch of units like vacate within the first few weeks. Um, now, you know, you get in the stop wall. Yeah. 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 Well, now we factor that all in. Right. So now we do, we do a forensic accounting. We do, we do all kinds of stuff to try to like combat that, but now it's expected. Right. When you're my first deal, I mean, it scared me to death. I'm like, what do you yeah. mean? All these people left. Like what? And are we, you know, are we going to cash off and pay the mortgage? Like, what am I going to do? And my wife's going to kill me and we're going to, you know, I, all the, the bad things I imagine, but now it's like, it's expected when we go in, you know, depending on the, the type of property, right? If we're buying a B plus or a B asset, you know, you don't really see that, but if we're buying something C or middle C, and we know that we're going to have to put some work in, like, you know, we had, a, we bought a 40 unit last year and we took it down. He had, he was 96% occupied. We took it down to eight people living there because we, and we knew going in that that's how we like, that was the plan though, is that in order to change the rebrand the whole place and take it from like it was in a great location but he was running it like a crack house you know it was like the location was great so let's go find the biggest dump on the block and just you know we will we'll win big on that right but the risk is right everybody everybody that, that we had three investors on that deal everybody has to understand that you know that here's we're going to nosedive this thing but then we're going to take you know we're going to pull out at the end and we're going to we're going to save this thing and it's going to be great and, and that's what we did i mean we've I think we've had it for nine months and we've renovated 38 of the 40 units and moved people around. And, you know, we kept the tenants that were good, that were paying and got rid of everybody else. And I mean, it's just been a great project, but you know. So that, what is the turnaround time? Because I mean, renovating 38 out of the 40 units, that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. You really yeah. did take a close day by now. <laughs> I imagine yeah, that somewhat of, depends on the scope of uh, the renovation too. Yeah. I mean, so we're not, you know, so a lot of the stuff, you know, we're doing cabinets, we're doing flooring, we're doing toilets, vanities, you know, we're doing tubs, we're doing surrounds, we're doing windows, we're doing, you know, the, like that kind of stuff. But, you know, we really try not to get into the walls if we don't have to, because when you start getting into the wall, I mean, 
Lord knows what kind of plumbing and crazy things you might find. And so we try to, you know, especially in Ohio, like once you get into the walls, you technically have to call the building department and, and you can start opening yourselves up to other things with the building code that you have to, to you know, bring things up to the 2022 code where if it was built in 1970, you know, as long as you don't touch the walls, you don't have to, you know, rewire the whole thing. But if you go in and you've got the whole building down to the studs, you can believe you're gonna have to bring it up to the new code. So, you know, it just, it's being tactical with it. I mean, we're not, you know, I don't think we're doing anything different than, you know, we're not like, again, we, you know, we renovate to the area that we're, we're doing it in, you know, if we're, I'm not putting granite countertops in every apartment, you know, there's guys that that's all they do, granite and everything. Well, you know, if the people that you're going to rent to, you know, if you're getting a hundred dollar rent bump and it makes the deal work for you, but the people you're still going to rent to aren't going to appreciate granite. Like, I don't see the, I, I don't see the benefit of the cost, you know, like if now, if I can put granite in and I know I'm going to get an extra 75 bucks a month or 50 bucks a month in rent, well, sure. Then it makes sense to, to spend the extra money, but you know, it's just understanding your market and the building you're buying and, you know, all those kinds of things. But um, you know, we have a whole team that, I mean, and, and it hasn't gone without growing pain, but we have a team that we use that does a lot of our construction in-house, but we brought it in-house because of all the bad experiences we had with outside contractors or outside construction groups that, you know, that, we had to fire in the middle of a project. Like for instance, we've had one where the guy came in and gave us quotes. We based all of our CapEx money based on the quote that he gave us. And we had a couple, two or three, but we was the one we picked. And then like three months into the deal, we had to fire him. Well, now we bring in, you know, the next contractor, but his pricing is more realistic. And it's, you know, it's 10, you know, I would say 10,000. It's probably $5,000 more a unit. Well, if you've only budgeted, let's say half a million dollars. And now the the, the, the new way, the only way to get this done is real. The real number is 700,000. What do you do? You know, and how do you navigate that? And so that's really for us is like, that's one of the things I think that is the biggest can be a, a, a big problem that causes people to the deals get out of control is when they don't estimate the CapEx properly. And then they get into a deal that maybe they either a should have never gotten into, or they weren't, didn't have enough reserves. And that's, like I said, then you're in, you're either having to do a capital call or in which the investors could say, no, you know, we're not giving you any more money. That is what it is. Then how are you going to figure out, you know, how to still make this a win for you and the people that put, you know, that trusted you to, you gave, they gave their money to you. So I want to, I, I kind of want to break things down a little bit because I know a lot of people don't understand multifamily. So let's kind of, why would, why would somebody invest into granite countertops to get some extra $75 uh, kind of explain like the am amplification of multifamily a little bit. Yeah. So the, well, I guess the first thing I'd say is that a lot of people will do granite because it's the durability of it. Like, it's kind of like, you always want to be considered hardening the unit. So you want to okay. like, like the hardest surface floors, the highest mill rating of like floors you can find the granite people will do the, the, like the cabinets, even that we buy, we don't buy like the cheap cabinets we buy, you know, granite or cabinets that are like full plywood drawers, the box, everything is like built strong because tenants are going to be there. Just the life is extended. And so you want to, you want to do these purchases once. And then when you, before you sell it, you want to like, you don't want to have to come back in and re-renovate before you sell. So you want to harden it as best you can on the initial investment of renovations. And so um, the important thing with any of the renovations that you do in multifamily and you brought granite is if you can get an extra $75 a month in rent, you know, let's say you have, we'll just use a 10 unit for easy numbers. And it's, it's $750 more by doing that, right? $750 more a month. So that's what we'll just say 9,500 bucks, somewhere in that range um, a year. Well, in multifamily, anything above four units, you're in commercial real estate. And so 
the NOI or the net operating income divided by the cap rate of that area can kind of give you a rough idea of what that value of that property will be. And so when we buy a property, we look at what it's valued at now. And then what do we have to do to get the rents 50, 100, $200 more? And then we'll know, like, if we do these things and we get to that, what do we think the value will be at the end? And that's what, how we evaluate our deals. Like, yeah, we, you know, the mom and pop owner, he's owned it for 15 years. He's depreciated it out. He's had rents $200 below market because for him, he was like, uh, you know, I bought it low. He, he wants to keep the rents low and full. I see that a lot. But we want to come in and we want to change out that whole tenant base. And, you know, we want to make the money. That's what we're here for. And so that's what that's every decision we make is all based on, you know, is the return on the investment or the return in the rent? Can we get the rent bump enough to make the money we're going to spend on that, whether it's granite or the flooring or the cabinets? Like, can we, you know, is, is the return there? And if it is, we spend the money. If it's not, or it's questionable, then we either do more research or, you know, we may hold off on it. And I'm also going to guess your part of what you're doing is to, you know, cut the cost of the uh, turnovers in the process. Yeah, well, so, so uh, you know, the way yeah. that we do now is like when you, if you harden the unit or you do it the, the way a lot of the guys that, that do the, the, these bigger deals, the way they do it is, you know, like now, like once I'm done with the unit and when somebody lives in it, they might live in it for a year, two years. You know, again, it comes down to your management, right? We do quarterly inspections. You know, we catch the people that are like living in filth way before it's like nobody like if you don't walk into your unit for two years and you wonder what you go in people got roaches and bed bugs and cat urine and dog poop all over the place like that's on you is in the way i look at it like you need to be inspecting those things regularly to catch it early but if you do it right you should be able to send a cleaning lady in there and kind of do you know you might have to do some light touch up some paint you know whatever but you know you should be able to have somebody move out on monday and have somebody new in there on friday if you do it right and that's really like i said where you start building up steam and you use you, you know you're you're constantly making money. So your downtime is much less. Wow. That's, that's really good because man, the tur turnover, doing turnovers and not keeping an eye on it. I inspection. I never heard that before inspections either. I'm new. Like I said, I know a lot of information, but I never bought into multifamily. So it's really interesting hearing that um, turnover, turnover. And so you do, you do quarterly inspections. You said quarterly. Or yeah, so, our, so we manage, so in central Ohio, we manage about 90% of the units that we own. And that is one thing that we do every quarter we send our, our manager or somebody from the staff, they go around, they schedule the inspections and they go through and they walk the unit because that's just part of our, you know, we just tell them it's part of our maintenance plan or whatever. But I mean, it's, you know, and, and a lot of guys will do like, if you have central heat and air, they will provide the furnace filters to the tenants, but they have to install them. And so they have their maintenance guy go in there every month to install the furnace filter, but they're also like getting eyes on the property. And like I said, catching somebody early that has a, you know, like people love to sneak pets in. Well, you know, if you live in our property, you're paying pet, you know, you're not in front of a pet fee, you pay your pet rent every month. And if we catch that, you're getting dinged, you know I mean? And cause again, it, it all comes back to making the property make more money every year net. And that's where the value comes from. So when, cause the, the whole gist of like the stuff that we do is we buy it, we, renovated or we do have the value add and that might just be a different management practice and then when we refinance it into long-term fixed debt we want the highest evaluation so we can get everybody their money back out so you know it's really important to kind of be dialed in on those things uh, and if you miss them you're just leaving money on the table when you refi man that was a good that one sense. i like that 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 yeah. that, that uh vet thing or the the filter thing that is that is gold right there because i'm like how do you how do you get that in there 
that that was a good one right there. Yeah, and, and sometimes it's just we have it in our lease too. Like so, like if there's you know we have some units that are through the wall uh, heating and cooling, like they you know, and so we don't have furnace filters. So just it's cooked into the lease. Like every you know they when they rent from us, they initial next to it that hey, you're gonna get quarterly inspections every three months. You can expect that our property manager or somebody from our staff is gonna walk through your unit. It takes five minutes. But the other thing that you catch is you know again in a property where you're paying for water, you know like um, some of our stuff, some of the stuff that we own, like. Everybody wants to do rubs, if you've ever heard of that, or kind of like build back utilities. But some properties, you just can't do that. Like, it doesn't make sense it's the way it's metered or the way the municipality reads the meters or, you know, whatever. So we'll just cook that into the rent, uh, you know, whatever we what we got to figure out what that dollar amount is, and we'll cook it into the rent. But where it can kill us is if they have, like, dripping faucets or they have tubs that don't shut off all the way or... You know, they have running toilets and, you know, they, you know, and they don't care, right? They don't ever call you. How are you going to know? And so that's also what our guys are looking for when they go through there is, do I hear a toilet running? Do I, you know, I check underneath the sinks to check for leaks because, you know, some people are, you know, depending on, you know, the type of um, kind of background they come from, they're scared to call and complain about, or not, I shouldn't say complain, they're call, they're, they're afraid to call and tell you about a maintenance issue because they're afraid that you're not going to fix it or you're going to want to kick them out or, you know, like they're just, I don't know what it is. I mean, people are just like, they're scared to report maintenance. Like when I lived in apartments, when I was in my twenties, like I did, I'd call and report it right away. But you know, it, it just depends, you know, I don't know some people that they don't do it. Or like I said, their, their toilet will run and they'll just let it run and run and run and run. And that would drive me crazy. I'd have to call and get, you know, it fixed, but you know, those little stopper valves in those toilets, I mean, they, they can go bad every six months. So, you know, if you're not watching that, you can, you can flush hundreds of thousands of dollars down the drain uh, every year if you're not paying attention to it. Which can turn into huge, huge yeah. dividends on the end. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Wow. So, you know, that, that, that term, you know, makes me uh, kind of want to jump, jump tracks on the direction. Uh, you know, show me, you know, what is one of your money raises? Are you doing syndications, uh, mix of syndications and funds? Uh, have you generated a fund? And if so, yeah, what so type what of we, fund? Yeah, so we do, the majority of the stuff we've done up to this point has been 506Bs. We've not had to really go the 506C route because our network has been pretty good and and we've just gotten everything funded. Um, I talked to some pretty big players on like a na national level that are, I mean, they're they're way bigger than I am, but they're not like REITs or big equity groups, right? Those guys don't even, you know, we're, we're not even in the same pond as those guys. They haven't <laughs> talked to you. But you know, the guys that are doing some pretty big stuff, you know, I've talked to them and kind of asked them like, well, how do you do it? And, and they've actually steered away from doing 506Cs because they're handcuffed so much um, with who they can have in the deal, right? If you're doing a 506C, you're only can have the accredited guys. And, and, and what I found is that it really is like, uh, you know, I don't know if you've heard the phrase like that people will bet on the jockey and not the horse. And so I have found that people really want to know the operator, the sponsor, like that's more important to them than actually what the deal is going to do. Right. Cause most people will say, how much do you need? And when will I get my money back or how long are you going to hold it for? You know? And, and a lot of the, the deals we've done have, have just really like kind of grassroots grown from our networking and people having a great experience. So they tell their friends and then those guys tell other friends and, you know, or doing podcasts like this where people get to kind of hear, they, they have a chance to kind of get to know me on a level where it's different than like just going to my website or like, you know, I spam you with an email, right? You're just going to delete it. So it's, it's totally, it's just a different way of thinking. And we've been blessed enough to um, have a great network of people and, and we've closed deals, right? And that, all that stuff helps um, when you're trying to build this business. Uh, so we, most of it's been 506Bs. And then we've looked at doing, we almost 
created a fund last year. Uh, I think this year we're probably going to do it. Um, it's just because we have, we just have deals that come like, like we'll have nothing. And then all of a sudden we'll have five show up that are like great deals. And we're like, well, you know, if we don't, if we had a fund, we could just buy them. Right. It wouldn't be that big of a deal. But like last year we closed a bunch of stuff and it was like, everyone was its own syndication. Well, syndications aren't cheap doing the paperwork. And then everyone, you know, if you've got one kind of started and then, you know, you, you have another one come up, like you have to kind of like those people aren't able to technically invest in that one. You know, it's a whole like separate thing. And so we found that might just be easier for us is just to set up like a C-class central Ohio fund, let's say, and then anything that comes to us within central Ohio, that's a C-class property, we can just buy it. And then the fund, the money's already sitting there. People are getting a return already from just the portfolio. And, you know, it, again, it spreads the risk out where you're not just in one deal. You might be actually in 10 deals that are generating the revenue that are paying you your return or, or paying in your money back. And so I think it's kind of a, almost like a little bit safer model, but it's not one that's talked about a ton uh, by syndicators. So I don't know, it's something that we're looking at doing uh, this year. Yeah, it's definitely a, a, a big jump, uh, you know, you, but you said it though, you get the advantage, you know, you can, instead of jumping from deal to deal to deal and, con you know, constantly being in fundraising mode, you can just, you know, jump deal to deal yeah. to deal to deal, but the, now the down, at that point, yeah. you have to have properties. Right. So and that's the thing. Yeah, it's the downside, right? You start taking people's money and you're guaranteeing yeah. them an eight prep or whatever, like you better find some properties because mm -hmm. otherwise you're, you're just, you're losing quickly. Exactly. The uh, mentors have been working with, uh, you know, it's all about, you know, raising the private money and then, you know, raising, you know, creating funds. So moving on yep. from the syndications that I've done. So I understand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's great. Daniel? This is this is a very interesting conversation because I like I said I'm I'm, I'm still learning a lot about a lot about a lot of these things so it's kind of kind of like I'm I'm the, I'm the beginner on this one I'm, I'm yeah, learning so can you define capex what what's the definition of capex um, and how does it correlate to like your big picture go big picture thing whenever you're acquiring uh, so I I mean without getting like super in the weeds with the IRS and how they you know, how we view it between maintenance and CapEx with, with the tax stuff, the deferments, like the, the way that we view it is anything that is, that we, when we go into property, anything that we're going to be replacing, like we know going into it, we're going to replace it, right? If you're, if you're, um, you know, whether that's flooring, um, vanities, you know, all the things like I mentioned, like you're even painting, you know, like, it, I mean, painting by the IRS standpoint, is not really a CapEx item, but, you know, flooring, vanities, cabinets, um, appliances, all those big ticket items that, you know, like I said, over, you know, if you got to go in and you got to buy 50 new refrigerators or appliance packages, you know, within the first six months, that's a lot of money. That would be considered a CapEx thing that you got to plan for, you know, or if you're, you know, we buy our flooring, we buy our LVP by the shipping container load from China. So, I mean, you know, you're going in and we know that we're going to do 50,000 square feet of flooring. We got to, we got to have the money set aside for that, you know, or, you know, when we go in and we buy vanities from, you know, wherever, you know, we're, like I'll use Lowe's for instance, we go in and buy a look from Lowe's. We plan with them like well in advance, like, Hey, here's the SKUs we're going to buy. Here's the, you know, here's what we're going to, what we want. And so, you know, again, if you're buying a vanity for, we'll say we, we, again, we buy them in volume. So I'll say 150 bucks for a vanity, but I'm buying 50 of them or a hundred of them. It's a lot of money, you know? And so you have to, all of those things have to be kind of accounted for. And that's, like I said, people can really go wrong quickly if they don't account for, the level, like if they, they get in and they don't have the price point on, you know, they're not on point or they, 
they don't factor something in like that's really where i see people go go wrong on deals is they they they're off on that number and so then you kind of get mid renovation and you're out of money and you're like oh man now what am i going to do right because again it only makes sense if you hit your metric at the end at the refi and you can get people their money out right if if you told somebody i want you to invest in my syndication we're buying this deal i'm going to keep your money for 18 months to two years and then it ends up being three years that you held their money i don't think they're going to probably invest with you the next time and you know that's you know that's like i said you got to be pretty precision with some of the stuff that you're doing wow okay um that's that was good definition. Oh man, that was, that was good. That was a good one. Okay, so next question I have is: we kind of talked before we came on is that you're you're now acquiring 160 acres that you're going to cut out your multifamily part of it and sub sell the rest off to investors and kind of build the multifamily around that. Let's kind of talk about that deal because that's 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 interesting. Yeah. So, so one of our partners in the stream group, uh, there's three of us, and the one the the third guy, Tim Watke, he's kind of he's involved like when he wants to be. He's like a he's a big player out in, in Utah and doing his own thing. And he's, he's involved in a lot of our deals, but he's like, you know, he's kind of like our big sledgehammer when we find it, when we find something big or we find something that like just seems to be like a great deal or, you know, we're, we're, you know, we made a couple offers on some major um, projects last year, you know, and so he's involved in those, but you know, if it's like a 40 unit, he's like, Hey, I don't you know, I don't necessarily want to be involved in that or whatever. So he comes in for the big stuff. That's what he likes. Uh, and so, you know, this was, uh, again, a broker that I have a great relationship with. My kids go to school with his, like I've known him for several years. He had been working with some older gentleman that had this um, property out here in central Ohio that's 100, it's like 150 acres. Um, they had been working on the zoning and getting the entitlements. Well, they hadn't started on the entitlements, but working on the zoning for this property to be uh, a single family development, multifamily and assisted living. And when he was telling me about this, like last summer, I'm like, don't you say nothing to anybody else. Like I want that property. Cause I just knew I'm like, this is great. It's in my backyard. It's in a great location. Uh, it, it's just something that we could do. And we've been kind of toying with the thought of doing development. Like I don't want to get into being a single family developer, but because this has different chunks and pieces to it, like it was really something that was great for us because there's, there's like three capital events that can happen within this one deal. So if you're an investor and you get in, you know, the, you know, you get in early, like, let's say in the first six months, you're like, yeah, I want to invest in this. When we sell off the land to the home and the, the home builder, there's a capital event there. So you could get your money back and you could go on and do your own thing. Or you could say, Hey, I put in this money. I just made X amount of dollars on my equity piece. I'm going to roll it into the next part. And then at that capital event, you know, you can either take your money out or you can roll it into the third part. And for us, the goal is to own the multifamily chunk of land at 17 acres. I think it's, they're allowing like 180 units out that way. Um, but what's great about it is in the process of um, kind of working in this deal out and keeping up with the broker and and just kind of keeping on, you know, being like kind of at his fingertips, you know, like every time I talk to him, I bring up this land, like, hey, man, you know, what's the deal with that? How's it going? Like, what's it look like? You know, are they ready to sell yet? You know, what's, what's the story? You know, you better not be talking to anybody else. And um, and then Intel comes out and says, hey, we're going to drop this $20 billion investment in Licking County, Ohio, which is a the neighboring county to Columbus, which is where the county I live in, we're going to, we're going to build this. This is like the largest plant that they've built in like the last 40 years. It's this huge driver right now of like, I mean, Facebook's come out here, Amazon's come out here. And then these guys are showing up and they're, they're doing this humongous investment in this area. And they're, they're talking 10,000 jobs. It's going to bring and just offshoot um, businesses and things that they, they like, so that they're going to bring to the area to supply them 
with what they need to run their plants. And it's like 7,000 construction jobs are talking about huge, huge impact on just the, the state as a whole. But it's literally like out my front door and then out my back door is this land. So it's really gotten to be exciting for us where, you know, I think that the, the, the development piece is going to be, you know, it could, I mean, again, it's going to be a life-changing deal. You know, if it goes right and everything goes as we think it will, uh, you know, like I said, it's going to be something that's going to be, it's going to take us to a whole nother level. I think, I think what I like about larger transactions is that any deal, any single one deal could be a life-changing deal because even your 50 unit changes the trajectory of your life. Yeah, absolutely. Completely. 100%. Yep. Completely. And that's the thing too is that, you know, multifamily is great because like you kind of talked about carving up the deal. Everybody kind of has a different role. Like you could be like, let's say you're a capital raiser or you're, um, you know, you're really good at finding deals. You know, you could go out and find five different deals and do them with five different groups and get enough equity between those five deals that just change your life. You know, I mean, that's, and, and you're talking five deals, right? I, I always tell people, uh, Tim Bratz always says, I think he was the one that originally coined it, but you know, I, he always says, you know, like how, you can either own like a 100% of a grape or you can own a, a chunk of a watermelon. And I just, when I first, the first time I heard that, I'm like, what a great analogy, because that's it, right? You can, you can own your 10 or 15 single family homes and like you own hundred percent of it, but you're also stuck really having to be the guy that manages it does all the renovations to it that does all the maintenance stuff because you're you don't you're not big enough to really employ people to do it and you're and you're trying to live off the cash for having it impact your life so it's like you're you're skimping on uh you know you're not going out and buying flooring by the container load you know what i mean like mm -hmm. that's where for me it was like that was the jump right and, and i see a lot of guys kind of struggle with that where like they don't want to give up necessarily the control or they they've been used to owning 100 of the deals that they've done and it's like they it's, I don't know, it's something in their mind where they just can't seem to like let go of the fact that like, I'm not going to own all of this. Or, you know, again, you do a $5 million deal and you own 20% of it. Well, that, I mean, you're that chunk of equity that you you own is like, how many, how many single family homes do you have to flip or do you have to mm -hmm. own rental wise to earn what that chunk is worth? I mean, yeah. you know, and it just depends. Yeah. Mindset is 100%. Yeah. And it just, you know, again, you whatever your end goal is, you know, I had my end goal in mind and I've just, you know, been laser focused on it. Definitely sounds uh, like some uh, tremendous success there. Um, I know one question, uh, I'm, I'm going to cut Daniel's legs out from underneath him on this one. And he loves to ask, what's your favorite book right now? Uh, you know, what, what book got you started, like really lit that fire. Uh, and then like, what's your current uh, recommended book uh, to anybody? Yeah. So I would, I would say, obviously if, if people, I mean, a lot, I mean, I feel like every investor has always heard of rich dad, poor dad, but you know, I always, I always bring it up because, you know, it just, if you've never uh, been exposed to real estate investing or even the difference between asset and liability, like that's such a great book that's changed so many people's lives and really kind of flipped the switch. Right. I mean, I always, I always like to talk about the movie, the matrix where, you know, Neil's in there and he gets the, the option of the pills, man. And, and once you, for me, I read that book and I was like, well, I'm screwed now, you know, like, I've completely unplugged here. Like this is, this is no fun anymore. This regular life. Like I got to go out and, and do all this stuff to, to, to make my life better and, and obtain that. So I think that was a great book for me. And then another one that was super impactful that I've read it several times, but I like sharing it anyways, is because um, it's a book by Dan Sullivan called who, not how, uh, if you've never, if, if people have mm -hmm. never read it but again, it's, it's, like you and I have read it and we're like, yeah, we know it, but like, there's so many people that have never heard of it. And for me being a, guy with a blue collar background who was always you know being in the fire service we we fix everything 
we always have the solution. You know, if my, even, even like, I mean, I'll tell you, for instance, like for me, I stopped cutting my lawn last summer and that was like the hardest thing for me because I'm like, I, you know, I'm so busy during the week, then on the weekends, I finally told my wife, I'm like, I don't want to cut the grass anymore. Like, I want to go like, let's go to the pool or let's go to the lake or let's go do something with the kids. Like I want to spend my free time doing the fun stuff and not slaving away out in my front yard. And like, and it, it was like, I, I lost sleep over Cause I'm like, I felt like my dad would roll over in his grave. Like the fact that I'm not cutting my own grass, like what kind of man are you, you know, but it's just, it, it's, it's talked about in that book where, you know, if you really want to scale and you want to grow, like you've got to find the things that you're good at and then anything that you're not good at, get it off your plate and give it to other people. Find the who, like if, you know, like I said, find the who to whatever the how is. So, you know, like, again, you, you need to create a website. Can you sit down and spend three months trying to figure out how to do it? 100%. But you could, or you could just call somebody that does web design and pay them the money they're asking for to do it. And it's done in two days, probably better than you would have ever been able to do it. Or even like podcasting, for instance, I know a lot of guys that, you know, when they got started, they wanted to um, edit and, you know, kind of clean up their own stuff. And it's like, when all of a sudden for them, they, when they started scaling, they're like, man, I just, you know, or like some of them do, they do daily podcasts, you know, it's, mm -hmm. they, they, you have to just record it, do the fun stuff, and then just send it off to a guy that that's what he does. And it'll look better and cleaner a lot of times than what you and I would even do. Yeah, anything so, you can do to buy your time back is a win. Yeah. I, I, I laugh at you with the cut the grass thing because, like, I had a lawnmower. And then when I moved, I'm like, I'm not cutting the grass anymore. I don't even care anymore. Like, I have better things to do than cut grass. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like, for me, the guy comes over, cuts my grass. He charged me 30 bucks to do it. I'm like, it takes me an hour and like 20 minutes to do it with my mower. And he comes over the zero turn. And I'm like, dude, the, I'm for, for 30 bucks, I can free up an hour and a half of my time. Like, what can I do in that hour and a half that's going to generate more revenue for me? Or, or like I said, it could be, and, and he does like it in 20 minutes, you guys, you know, but and he does it in 20 minutes plus he edges, trims, weed wax, things, right? And it looks better than mine because lines in. Yeah. Like, I can't do that. Yep. <laughs> so, I always I like this question too is, uh, what is a quote that's yours or somebody else's that you resonate with? Uh, I'll keep it simple. Warren Buffett, he says never, you know, the, 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 I don't know the exact of it, but it's like the, the number one rule in investing is don't lose money. So there I, there's a lot of times where <laughs> there might be things that like I want to do or my partner want to do. And like, we always circle back to that. Like, remember never lose money. Like that's the number one thing, right. When we're, cause sometimes it's hard, you know, like you get excited about things or you want to like, Oh, like you, again, it's shiny object syndrome, like entrepreneurs, like you know, guys that are you kind of get like into real estate and you're like, you're always kind of chasing that next deal or that next high of the, you know, the, the return you got or the, you know, whatever it may be. And it's like, there's so many things that, you know, I've seen people try to make money and like, maybe they were super good in multifamily and they thought I'm going to shoot off and do some, uh, some storage <laughs> units or, you know, like for me, it's hard because I'll see, I'll see these guys wholesaling contracts for houses that are in my area. And I'm like, man, that'd be a great flip. Like I could do that. I would just let me buy it. And then I got my guys go over there. They can fix it up, but I can flip it. And I'm like, I'm like, I have to stop myself. I'm like, no, that's not what, that's not the focus here. You know, cause it only takes one deal to, you know, like I buy it and then it goes bad and now it's distracting me and it's sucking up all my time and resources. And, and then all these other things kind of go by the wayside. And that's, I, at least for me, I always have to remind myself to not, uh, you know, not get into the weeds on these other things. And I just, like I said, laser focus on multifamily, growing our business, meeting new investors, you know, just get in the room with, the, with great people to work with. And, you know, that's what I, I got to stay focused on all the time. So uh, where are you doing? Let's, let's start off with like how many deals, how many units do you have under management? Um, 
what deals are you working on currently and where can people send you deals? So we are, like I said, in Central Ohio, we have about 600 doors, a little bit over that, I think now. And we manage probably 90% of that. I've got some stuff that I like, uh, that I've, uh, I've given off to a third party manager that I'm really good friends with. And I know and like, and trust him. And he's 100% like in line with my vision. And so he runs it the way that I want it to be ran and it's been phenomenal. So that's, we let him run that stuff, but the rest of it's all ran in house by our management team. Uh, and then we have uh, some equity holdings in multiple different States. Uh, and that's the whole stuff that basically like it's operators that we, you know, something within our team knew and we either, you know, sign on the debt or we invested with them or we, you know, we got on the general partnership side because maybe they, it was their first deal or, you know, whatever the case may be, the deal was bigger than they could do. So they, they had one of us come in on it. Um, you know, and, and so we, we kind of have that going on, but most of the stuff that we really try to take down is here in central Ohio that we, you know, that I, I don't go outside of my, my backyard, basically. Like I just haven't had to, right. We live in a great area, great market. Columbus is super hot. Um, the, the surrounding areas are doing nothing, but getting better and thriving because Columbus is doing so well, the, how, the housing market or the housing shortage in central Ohio was crazy. So, I mean, all these areas that, you know, two, three, four years ago, maybe nobody was buying in. It's you find like people are being pushed out that COVID has really helped too, because people are working from home. They're able to live farther away from the Metro area. They can make great Metro area money, but live an hour away because they don't have to travel to the office every day. So we're seeing a lot of cool things. And I, I think kind of like, for me, it was like, you know, the, the, the lake or the pond that I'm in, I would rather go super deep in that than go like super wide. You know, there's some people you have to, right? If you live in New York city, you have no option, but to go outside of your area to buy. Uh, but for me, I don't have to do that. Right. So we're doing great here and that's just what we like. And, you know, really like our kind of sphere of influence is an hour from Columbus. So we could go to Cleveland. It's a little bit farther away, but Dayton, Cincinnati, I've, I've looked at, you know, but really anything in between. And then if there's other operators that like, you know, they want to just, they want that comfort or that person to sign on it or the deal with them to kind of help get them through their first one or second one or whatever. Like that's really what we specialize in. That's awesome, man. That is awesome. So how, how can people send That's you deals? Daily. How can people send you deals? Uh, so they can go on our website. It's uh, www.thestreamgroups, it's plural, uh, .com. And then on there, there's like a kind of like a questionnaire thing where if you're an investor or you're just somebody that wants to get in contact with me, that you can fill it out. It comes to my email. And then usually I'll, I'll like I said, I'll follow up usually within 24 hours. Uh, and then we'll set up a time to chat or whatnot. And, and you know, that's that's probably the best way. Um, I'm on Facebook, just Seth Teagle. You can look me up on there, LinkedIn or Instagram. You know, we're on any of that, those kinds of platforms. And so they can, people message me all the time on that stuff. And, and uh, we start conversations that way and then um, kind of go from there. Well, um, this does great, man. I was about to ask you, where can people find you? You're like, oh, we're on Facebook. So let right into it. We're good. Covered it. Covered it. Well, we appreciate your time, Seth. I think this is a great conversation. We covered a lot covered a lot i appreciate uh frank for helping me out here and uh thanks for coming on i hope we uh yeah. maybe we'll send you a deal down the line yeah absolutely guys appreciate I appreciate it. thank you very much all right you have a great day thanks for coming thanks. have a great week yep you too thanks the show is sponsored by the list guys do you need more leads in your local or virtual market one in 10 small businesses don't invest in any kind of marketing. The List Guys have over 35 plus list types to choose from and you can mix and match any list or criteria. 
We also use the skip trace list and provide up to seven numbers and email addresses. Every list you purchase will be scrubbed against previous purchases. The list guys are here to save you time. Contact the list guys today at www.1listguys.com. That's www.1listguys.com.